I'm, I'm writing. You know how to write. Without the, without the, without the writing, you have nothing. I'm writing. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Home Row. It has been quite some time, but I'm back now and with a guest that is top shelf. Um, a top shelf <laughs> guest, not only in the amount of books on his top shelf, um, but in character and in teaching and in friendship. And so glad to have on the show, JT English. How are you, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here with you and have yeah. a good, good conversation. We're doing pretty good, man. I'm living in Colorado now, so life can't be too bad, right? No, no, it can't. Um, and right now in Texas, in Houston, it's 72 degrees. And it was lightly misting when I went for a run this morning. So it was kind of cool. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. So what is it for you? It's got to be like 50 or... It was 57 this morning when I woke up. It gets to a high of 86 today still, though. So it'll, get, it'll warm up, but it's like a dry warm. Like it's still crisp. Okay. Like it feels good. The, my favorite thing about this season in Colorado is every night we just open our windows. There's no bugs. It's like the perfect natural air conditioner. And you yeah. can just you just chill in your bed, man. Just the like Lord, Houston. The Lord cools us off. Just like you said, no mosquitoes, no bugs, no June bugs, no weird bugs. Yeah, no. Did any animals greet you this morning uh, down from the mountains with coffee? Did the Dude, moose bring you coffee? I don't anything? know why, but the last three Mondays in a row, so we're recording not on a Monday, but a few days ago, the last three Mondays, an eight-point buck and a deer have come wow. down, and they just chill in our backyard. And it's not like we live in the mountains. like We live in a suburb yeah. <laughs> for some Can reason. Can you shoot that thing when it's uh, time? I, I could, I won't. Uh, yeah, my think so Thomas, Thomas thinks it's Rudolph, like Tom, <laughs> my son, my five-year-old son calls him the reindeer that comes down from the mountains. So I think that would be a little traumatizing for my little man. It would be. <laughs> what are we eating tonight, daddy? Reindeer. Um, yeah, reindeer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, man, that's great. Well, okay. So for the people out there who don't know who you are, yep. um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do yeah. for work. And I guess you do some podcasts too that I've, I've heard of. So you can tell us about that too. Yeah. So uh, again, my name's JT. I'm a pastor at Storyline Fellowship in Arvada, Colorado. I've been the lead pastor here basically since the first week of the pandemic, which has been a wild ride. And I was so here crazy. for my interview weekend. Uh, the, the last weekend we were gathered together as a church. And so uh, it was a unique calling for me, not just because it's a, I love the local church period, but I love this local church in particular because it's in my backyard for, in terms of my own neighborhood. Like uh, I grew up here where Storyline planted is a, is a, was in a high school gym that I played ball in growing up. And so when this position came available, it was really a kind of a unique calling. I wasn't just looking to be a lead pastor, but to be a lead pastor in a community I love, at a church that I love was really a unique opportunity. So before that, I was uh, uh, an executive pastor at the Village Church uh, in Flower Mound, Texas, served on the executive team there and oversaw what we founded as the Village Church Institute. So it was really a, a department dedicated to theological education, discipleship, in the context of the local church. I mean, that was a wild ride. I loved it. The men and women of the village are, again, top-notch, high quality. I never thought I'd leave. I had a great, great, great job with great men and women. I loved it. So the Lord really had to be clear in this calling to us, us here. While we were there, as you mentioned, we started a podcast with two of my colleagues, Jen Wilkin and Kyle Worley. It's called the Knowing Faith Podcast. I mean, that's been one of the, I think, the sweetest kind of fruits that the Lord brought out from our time there. It's just, how do you do theology in the local church? And how do you have conversations about serious things and disagree with each other and do it with friends and do it with charity and do it with your Bibles open? So we had a, have had a lot of fun. The Lord's blessed that ministry in a way that we weren't expecting, and it's, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, such a great, such a great ministry and been a blessing to so many people, including myself and the podcast as well. Easily my favorite podcast, 
not even just like Christian podcasts, but my favorite podcast. So if you don't listen to Knowing Faith, um, you should dial back your listening to Home Row and then go listen to mm. Knowing Faith and you'll be way more blessed and helped uh, and encouraged in your faith. Listen to JT, Kyle, and, and Jen. The, um, the game on Knowing Faith is whenever we're talking about something uh, biblically or theologically is Kyle and I always try to go first so that so that we don't feel stupid going after Jen. It's like, it's you, you just, you just got to get your stuff out there and then let Jen's Jen, like drop some mic bombs yeah. on us. And so, <laughs> yeah, she's so wise and has so such, such a gifted teacher and, and thinker. And yeah, I, I love listening to anything that she has to say. You guys are great too. Uh, thanks, but yeah, thanks, Jen, 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 of course. Now we love the show. Okay. So when you're not uh, leading storyline and you're not uh, in the office or, or doing the podcast, what's something you're doing for fun out there? Now you have a lot of options. Yeah, a lot more options than I had in Flyer Mound, that's for sure. You know, what's wild, I played golf a ton when I was a kid. Like, my, my parents played golf, so I'd go play with them. I was never very good, but then it got real expensive. You know, you're a college student, seminary student. I, you're like, I can't afford golf, nor do I have time for golf. But now that I'm back here, a lot of our members play golf, so I went and bought a set of clubs, and I'm trying to play about once a week right now, wow. which has been like, it, it's it's kind of this two-sided coin, double-edged sword. There's part of me that just loves it. Like, it's relaxing. You know, you hit a good shot and you see the ball just fly through the Colorado air, but that happens like one out of 20 shots for me. <laughs> so the other 19 shots, I'm stressed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated with myself that I'm not better, but yes. it's been fun. I'm going to head to the range a little bit later today and hit some oh, balls fun. too. Yeah, I saw a picture you posted on your Instagram. It looked like it was beautiful. It's, you said something about the Aspens. Yep. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, oh man, he's on a golf course. Golly, look at that. Yep. Right now, like the the mount. This this is going to be a really bad example. I was going to say the mountains are on fire. They actually are on fire, but I meant mm. they're on fire from the Aspens. The Aspens are just like this bright red and orange, just this beautiful uh, kind of changing of the of the seasons. Well, I played golf uh, once two years ago. It was very expensive, mm-hmm. and uh, it was while we were at a Pine Cove like family camp out in okay. South Carolina, and so he had an excursion to go play golf. Did that with the camp director and a couple other guys. It was fun, but I was horrible. Yes. And so then the next year they're like, "Hey, do you want to come again?" I said, "No way." Like, <laughs> I paid a lot of money just to be mad at myself for five hours. And for five hours, like frustrated. That's how, that. that's how I feel about it too. Often, but man, you go out there and sometimes you hit that one shot. You know, that one shot out of 20, like the, maybe the one shot out of the whole round. And you're right. like, that's what golf is supposed to feel like. And that one just keeps bringing me back. Golf is have. tough, man, because you can't hide. Like, right. you, like there's no, there's like you, you, if you have a bad day, everybody knows you had a bad day. You don't it's have a the teammate. Club. The yeah, you're up. not playing against somebody else. Like it's, if you have a bad day, it's on you. Yeah, I did hit a nice shot out of some sand somehow. I think just out of pure frustration and like the movie <laughs> Angels in the Outfield. It was like Angels in the Bunker. Like one of them just took it up and like landed it on the green. It was it was really nice. Just perfect. Not enough to pull me back though. <laughs> well, you got to come visit us in our vat. I'll take you out. We'll have a round. Perfect. And we and you can watch me get mad. Dude, the last guy I played with uh, had a bad shot and he threw his club and basically broke his wrist. Like he sprained his wrist. Like he, he can't <laughs> he can't even pick up a club right now. He got so oh, mad. Oh man, himself. that's perfect. <laughs> That's yeah. That's kind of stuff you hope your children and your your wife aren't around for, <laughs> but right. just a, just a friend who will make fun of you <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not think less of you. You know, just just make fun of you. That's, that's right. That's all you want. That's, that's all right. you want. Well, JT, you've written a new book and your first book, right? That's right. Yeah, first yeah, book. Yeah, deep discipleship. 
So, so tell us, um, give us the, the elevator pitch for the book and we'll talk more about the book, but I want us to, you know, a lot of people that listen to home row, they're first time writers or they're bloggers are the people that are dabbling in the publishing industry. And so for you as a first time, um, first time author and a great writer, I think you'd be able to give some nice insights and, and coaching and tips and encouragement throughout that writing process. But tell us uh, what is, what is deep discipleship about? Yeah, so Deep Discipleship is a book uh, that is based upon the premise that the local church is called to make holistic, deep, flourishing disciples. Uh, so my, part of my story is that I came to faith through a nonprofit, tried to be discipled in the local church, wasn't, had to be discipled through Bible colleges, seminaries, and nonprofits, which I'm supremely thankful for. But as I went to seminary, I realized, wait a second, the local church is supposed to be the place where we grow holistic disciples of Jesus over the course of their lifetimes. And so it really was this, it's, you know, all theology or writing or ministry, a lot of it has to do with our own stories. And so for me, this was a story of what, what would I like to have had my local church have set up for young 22-year-old JT who came to faith? Because we shouldn't have to leave the local church in order to lead in the local church. Right. And so that was really the, the premise of the book, is what would it look like for churches to set up philosophies of ministries that are sustainable, that can take somebody who's currently a pagan and make them a pastor? Mm-hmm. Now, who, who do you think should read Deep Discipleship? Like, should this, every church member should read it, or is this more for church leaders? Yeah, it's definitely probably primarily written for people who are working uh, as ministry directors, leaders, even volunteers, certainly senior pastors, women's ministry directors, people who are spending their vocational time thinking about making disciples. That's the primary audience. But at the same time, anybody who's serious about discipleship, yeah. I think, will will benefit from it. You know, there's yeah. probably going to be parts of it where they're saying, well, I'm not setting up a philosophy of ministry, so I don't need to. But if you're a mom or a dad or a roommate or a brother or a sister, and you're thinking about how do I grow myself and how do I set up environments in my life and rhythms in my life to be a more holistic disciple, then I think there'd still be a lot of fruit for, for you in this book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it'll benefit anybody. Obviously, we're all called to make disciples, and mm-hmm. and we got to think about what does it mean to be a disciple, and what is that disciple making process, and what are some creative, time tested ways, faithful ways that we can do that right now in the twenty first century. And I, I think you not only have written about it, but you've modeled it, and you've you've got years of I guess the proof and fruit of what the Lord has done at the village that and by by y'all's ministry of training the church um too where you know people can come in and learn about how to do this why don't you tell listeners about that because i know there's people who'd be interested in that too yeah this has actually been again one of those things that you just kind of start not really knowing how the lord's going to use it uh so gosh it was about a little over a year ago jen kyle and i started uh kind of a external ministry called training the church and the primary we were just getting so many questions at tvc or where kyle was at mosaic like hey how can you help us set this up and we would we just wanted to give our time away like how do we get people in and so we would have you know it felt like one or two churches or ministry groups come in about once a month and we would just spend the day with them talking through what we were doing in tvci which which we loved doing but we realized it wasn't very effective they didn't have a whole lot of skin in the game we, we were having the same conversation 20 times a year so we said, what would it look like for us to have this this same conversation, but with more than one church in the room? So training the church is a six-month ministry cohort where we actually just had a two-day cohort that ended yesterday. So we do these mm. two days. We have to do it on Zoom right now. Hopefully, once COVID's over, we can do it in, in person again. But where we walk through a lot of these questions. And man, what's been probably the most fun uh, for me in the cohort is it really isn't just Jen, Kyle, and I teaching. Uh, there certainly is things that we're teaching about, but seeing theology and philosophy of ministry happen 
happen in the context of community as they learn from each other. Yeah. Like we had one, we have one church from British Columbia, another church from Belgium, another church from Texas, another church wow. from South Carolina. And they're asking so many of the same questions and they're learning from each other and they're growing and they're pressing on each other asking, hey, why do you do it that way? And so, so training the church is the six month cohort that we do for ministry leaders primarily, where we're walking through not really the book, but a lot of the things that the book talks through. Uh, I don't know about you, Jeff, but but in ministry, there's a lot of kind of like ministry prognosticators who are always telling us to pivot and always telling us to to change our philosophy of ministry or have a fresh take. And I understand wanting to be creative and be on the cutting edge and be excellent at what we do. But at the same time, for me, that gets so exhausting. Like right. I just get worn out by the guys and girls who are telling us, change who you are, change what you do, look at best practices in the business world or the nonprofit world. And again, there, I know that there's a place for that, but that's not the foundation of who we are as churches and sure. who we are as disciple makers. And so training the church is really an attempt for us to say, you do not have to change your philosophy of ministry every three years in order to be successful. As a matter of fact, if you're changing it every three years, you're not successful. But what if the Bible has some sustainable and holistic practices for us as ministry leaders that we can employ in the local church that will actually grow deeper disciples? Yes. Amen. 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 And that, I think that's why your book's going to be so, so helpful is that it's not just theory to, for how to do this stuff. Um, it's actual principles and actual like practical you guys have lived it out uh, at the village i know kyle is now doing stuff at mosaic and also with another church in the area and storyline i know will will live out these these same things as well um so it's really neat really neat to see and i know a lot of churches are, are seeing it and so i'm, I'm really grateful for you man god's giving you such a huge um platform um and a huge voice in this in this space of discipleship and so i'm, I'm glad that it, it's being uh, stewarded well and God's bringing fruit from it, from you. Thanks, brother. Well, it's been a gift. And one thing I want to make clear is, is either myself or Jen, Kyle, and I, we don't think we're ministry experts. We're certainly not. We're, we're kind of bumbling along, figuring it out like everybody else. So like the book or what we do in training the church, we're not giving somebody a playbook of like, here's the silver bullet. If only you did this, then you would be successful in ministry. That's, that is probably the furthest thing from what we're doing. What we're really trying to do is help churches ask better questions uh, so that when they ask the better question and answer it honestly in their own ministry context, mm -hmm. then they'll make better disciples. So I don't think everybody should do what we did at TVC, because if your ministry context is different, your church is struggling through different things, then you, you don't need to do what we did at TVC. That was a, a specific moment, a specific time where what we needed was an institute. Now, I think Storyline needs one too, so we'll do something similar here, but it's not going to be the exact same playbook, but it will be the same questions that we right. ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Really good. So yeah, guys go and pick up deep discipleship on Amazon. It should be available. When does it drop? Is it it actually week? drops on the September 29th. Yeah. 29th. So okay. Next yeah. Tuesday from when we're recording now. Yeah. Yeah. So go and go and pick that up. Um, it should be available now when this episode drops, it should be available. So go to Amazon, go to lifeway.com, um, and go snag that there'll be a link in the show notes where you can go scroll down and click right on that link. And then you can go and find JT's book. All right, man. So first time writer. Yeah. You've got the contract <laughs> signed. Man. dreams of many, you know, every, a lot of writers, we all dream about that day of, of inking the deal, mm -hmm. um, the art of the deal we could say. And, um, now what? 
honestly, like life for me then was super busy. So I kind of put it on the back burner for two or three months. You know, I signed, that's not, that's not the right answer. You know, you'd think you yeah. sign it and you just, you get a seven day retreat up in the mountains and you're at the lodge <laughs> and right. you're just, you know, with the Lord writing. That wasn't my experience. My experience was sign the thing, get back to work and pick it up when you can. And so then what happened next is they sent me potential artwork for the book, like you, like the cover. Yeah, yeah. And I saw my name on it. And I was like, oh, like that's when it got real oh, for no, me. I'm supposed to write I was a like, book. I need to write a book. This is, what am I going to do this? I don't have time for this. Why did I say yes to this? You know, that really felt like the real kick in the teeth where you're like, I, what have I done? Why am I going right. to do that? You know, uh, especially with all the, everything else that we had going on. So uh, for me, it wasn't like this, just out of the gates, crushed it. It, it really was a slow process at the beginning that I, I needed some motivation, like seeing your name on the front cover mm. of a book to say, okay, I got to go write this thing. Yeah. And so I know you, you do have some experience with writing, so yeah. it's not like, um, you know, you have zero, um, you know, tools in the, in the writing shed, you have a doctorate, you, you wrote, um, a long dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess as you could think about your writing in the PhD program at Southern, um, and now, and I, you know, maybe you did some curriculum stuff and oversight of stuff like that at the village, but now mm-hmm. writing this popular level book on discipleship, were there any habits that you picked up in disciplines from your time at doing a PhD that helped you, uh, that you could share as you wrote deep, deep discipleship? Yeah, I think there's probably some helpful habits and then some other habits that I had to break. The helpful habit for me was, and this is, I'm not sure I would recommend this for anybody, but it worked for me. Uh, The way my mind works is my mind works faster speaking than it does typing. And so I actually have a software called Dragon Dictation Mm. that I I can speak what I want to write down and it dictates it pretty well. And of course, I've got to go back through and edit it and put in periods and change words here and there. But I'm able to get a page or two pages or three pages done when it would have taken, I would have actually been able to type a paragraph or so. And so I actually learned that in the PhD process. It was a, a curriculum or a, a software that I bought and man, it, it made my dissertation fly by. Cause if I'm doing a block quote, I just had to sit there and read Augustine's city of God, read the block quote out loud. And it would be perfectly on the, on hmm. the document rather than having to, you know, like a punk hold the, hold it down my elbows <laughs> and like try to type yes. it with one hand or whatever. Yeah which we all know. So, so that or was one something of these, like yeah. one of these things right here, Get like a stand or listeners something. can't see it, but it's a, one of those leather book holders. It's got weights on both sides. So you've got and the that, right tool for the right job. I just was too cheap. I guess I was like, I'm just going to use my elbows. Uh, so, so for me, and I still do that, like when I'm writing sermons and then when I wrote deep discipleship, I realized that I can verbally process things far much faster than I can actually mm. write them down. And so for those of you who might have a hard time, like typing, and I know that might sound weird on a, on a writing podcast, but no, like, no, no. for some of us, our minds are working in a way that's different than like, cause if I would type a sentence or two, the idea would be gone. If that makes sense. Like I, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't keep flowing. The, the flow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, um, that was a, that was a big help for me. The, the challenge, I think the habit that I had to learn how to break was, um, there's a certain form that you write a dissertation in that's very academic. You learn to use certain words and kind of certain transitions between paragraphs or chapters that is really not good for writing the kind of book that deep discipleship is. And so I, my editors had to work really hard with me. They had to spend some time helping me kind of break some habits that again are fine for the academy, but not fine for probably the everyday, everyday reader. And so it was, uh, that was another thing that I think I've learned as a pastor too. Uh, when you think about discipleship is often we think that all kinds of forms transfer across platforms. So if I want to give an introduction, so like, here's an example. If you want to give a, uh, 
somebody an introduction to systematic theology. Most introductions to systematic theology are a thousand pages long right. and have 400 footnotes per chapter. That's just not what we need right now, at least in the context of the local church. We need people who are speaking just real common language, able to comprehend high but communicate low. So maybe that's the principle I would say that I had to break is it, a PhD teaches you to comprehend high and communicate high. And the book that I was writing in Deep Discipleship was an attempt to try to comprehend high but communicate low in a way that was accessible to anybody who wants to read it. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. I've never heard of anybody doing drag, drag and dictation for, not for like for meeting notes and, and yeah. stuff like that, but man, like full on manuscript and dissertation, dissertation stuff, man, that could be a game changer. It really was. I mean, I wrote my dissertation in about six months. And I think if I would have been typing, it probably would have been a year or 18 months. Man. That's wild. Here's the, now, here's the sad thing though. It, they no longer support Macs. <laughs> and so like I was two thirds of the way through the book and it like my software broke and I tried to update it and like, Oh no, we don't support Macs anymore. What? So this last third of the book I had to type. Oh, that's devastating. I, I don't know why they did it. I think they're concerned that, that, uh, there might be, uh, like, like, uh, Siri is getting much right. better. Like they're just wondering, do, you know, is the comp, why would we do this if, yeah, if, if we're Siri losing so much market game. share? Yeah, man, that's interesting. As I'm on the front end of the PhD stuff, and I have mountains of books over here that I need to be reading, um, and papers and stuff piling up, I'm like, how's all this going to happen? I know. Dragon dictation. Dragon, bro. That's one way. But I don't talk like a scholar. That'd be the problem. See, I had to learn how to not talk like a scholar. I, yeah. I learned how to talk like one, and then I had to learn how not to. Yeah. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so you would sit down to do these dictation sessions. Mm-hmm. Did you do them? Were you a morning writer? Were you an evening writer? Like, what were some of your, your habits like? This is where my wife is really going to get, not frustrated with me, but will bring up some bad memories. I'm neither <laughs> a morning writer or an evening writer. I'm like a 10 a.m. writer <laughs> for some reason. Perfect. That's what I think most clearly, and that's when she needs my help the most. Right. Know? So I was actually on sabbatical for a good portion of this, so I got about half my book done during sabbatical, but I, you know, that was, we were at Seaside, or we were with family, yeah. and I was like, honey, I, my mind is working right now. It's 10 a.m. I know that the kids are going bananas, but I need to go write. But really, I didn't have... Um, what I tried to do, and I think this might be the best advice I could give to writers, uh, at least this helped me in my process, is I didn't really have just set aside time each day, though there was. Really what I aimed for was word count each day. Mm. It wasn't like sit down for two hours each day or sit down for an hour. It was, I want to write 500 words every day. That was my goal. Uh, of course, there were a few days that it didn't happen. There's other days where you write a thousand words because things are feeling good. There's some days where it's 250, but the, the goal was 500, even if it's a bad 500 words. Like the worst thing that you're going to do is go back and delete it or edit right. it the next day or, the, or, you know, in the editing process. So for me, just getting, getting things down on paper was the biggest battle. And so, so how, how I overcame that was... 500 words a day, no matter how you feel, no matter whether you want to write or you don't want to write, 500 words. Do you feel like, did you do that like pretty faithfully? Like every day pretty much? I would say 80%, maybe 90% of the time. Yeah. 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 That's huge. And I think sometimes people do think there has to be this like euphoric writing experience and in this idyllic setting. um, And that you're going to get it right the first time. Right. Yeah, no way. The editing, editing is where I think where most of the writing happens. That's right. There is a lot of okay. You you 
puke it up on the page and, and you get it out. The ideas are out there. Mm-hmm. But then you come back and look and you go, well, that doesn't make any sense now. Right. Uh, I repeated that same idea already and I'm just saying it five different ways. That's right. And I got to chop this up. I got to find the best ideas. Um, I don't think it's Stephen King that said it, but a lot of people attribute it to Stephen King. You got to kill your darlings, like mm-hmm. those sentences and phrases that you just love the most that you, that's right. this isn't helping anymore. And that's where editors are, are so helpful. And so for me, uh, just to kind of piggyback off the editing comment, I, I, I loved my editors. Like I just, I just didn't really have a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, assumptions that everything would stay the same when I sent it to them. I was like, I really want your help. And so yeah. I got back my drafts from them and edit, edits from them. And I probably accepted 90% of them. It's like, this is what you do. And I, and I realized that the writing right. process doesn't need to be like a, a one man or a one woman game. Like it really should be a, a team effort. And mm-hmm. so my editors just did a great job and I think really contributed to the book being a better book. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's every, every good book has that experience, I think. And and hopefully, you know, with, with humble Calvinism, what I tried to say in the acknowledgements was, you know, every book is an Amish barn raising like it takes a team of people, um, from the editors, the graphic designers, the author itself, and then the people who are, you know, doing the marketing That's right. and the people that are putting the paper in the printer. And like, it's, it is a total team to really get it done and it takes everybody. So it's, it's an Amish barn raising. That's right. That's a really good example. I, I definitely felt that. And it, and I didn't even feel like I did necessarily the lion's share. I mean, I, I wrote all of the words, but there was a lot of people who made significant contributions to the book that I'm really thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. So pick it up guys this week, deep discipleship, JT, go JT English, go into your uh, show notes there on your iPhone app or your Android and just scroll down and you'll see the link to go and, and purchase that book. So let's say that's uh, 2021 and uh, hopefully Lord willing, COVID has not what it is today. And you're at the Gospel Coalition 2021. Um, maybe you're leading a breakout on on deep discipleship or or you're in the bookstore doing a book signing. Um, and a guy, a gal comes up to you and says, JT, this book was so great. I, I, I want to be a writer too. Um, what's some, what, what are some things I could do to, to be a better writer? Oh man. First thing you need to do is read, uh, so much of what came out in the book that I wrote was things that I had read before, you know, creativity doesn't need to be just you thinking the thing for the first time, but really helping, uh, just take maybe small incremental steps past what other people have already thought. So deep discipleship is really a, an accumulation of so many other people's input into me that then kind of flowed out into this book. So just make sure you're, you're a kind of person who's open to conversation with others, learning from others, whether that's books or podcasts or your pastor or your friends. And so, man, I, in the acknowledgments, you know, I could have written down 50 people's names and said, this person, you know, helped me with this idea or helped contribute to this, to this thing. So just be a learner, uh, whether that's, you do that through reading or through podcasts, you, you will not be a good writer unless first you're a learner. I think the second is, is just be humble. Uh, you know, I think so many people want to write books too soon. And I say that as a fairly young 35 year old person, but like I said, no to writing this book three or four times first, you could ask the guys at life. I just, I just didn't really, I wanted to do the work before I wrote about the work. Mm. 
Um, I remember Tim Keller once saying, and I guess I didn't follow his advice, but he said, don't write anything till you're 50. Uh, I heard, the, heard him say that in like a breakout at a conference once. And he just said, he said, you know, so much, so many of your ideas are going to change and they're really not going to kind of coalesce until you've had 10, 15, 20 years of ministry experience. So again, I, I guess I didn't listen to his advice yeah, fully, either. Yeah. but, 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 but we did wait a little bit, you know, like, uh, you don't have to write a book when you're young. You're going to write a better book the longer you wait. And I think that's true. If I would have written Deep Discipleship three years ago or four years ago when we were first talking about it, it wouldn't have been nearly as good of a book. Mm. So I would say be patient, be humble, wait. Uh, and then what we were just talking about a minute ago, allow other people to contribute. This doesn't need to be a one-person masterpiece. This really can be a team effort. I would sit down and talk with Macy about it or text you, text other friends right. about their experiences in discipleship. So I didn't feel this pressure of like going into the closet by myself and, you know, coming out with this perfect masterpiece to give to everybody. It really was a, a team effort. So I would encourage people to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. What are some of your favorite books on writing? Yeah. If you've read any, um... Oh man, you know, I don't think, honestly, I don't think I've read a lot of books on writing. I think for me, it's, Rather than reading books and writing, I try to read books that are written well. Yeah, just uh, good writers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, who are some he, of your favorites? Well, here's kind of something to my shame. Uh, I actually can't believe I'm going to admit this publicly. Oh, no. I have never read uh, Tolkien. Uh, I've I never read either. I've never read Lewis until this year. And so <clears throat> for me, you know, I, I come to faith, I jump right into seminary, and it was all just like theology, systematic theology, biblical theology, just nonfiction, like intense theological books. And then you get out of your PhD program after, you know, 10 years of, of doing theological study. And I needed a break, like two or three mm-hmm. years where I didn't read a lot. I just like my mind needed to to decompress. And I've really tried to incorporate fiction. And so I'm right now, every single night, my son's five, you might be too young for it. I don't know, but I'm doing it. We're reading The Hobbit together. Wow. And man, I, I just, I, I, I lament not reading that kind of writing sooner in my life. Mm-hmm. So I read that, I read that compared to the other stuff that I've read in the past. Man, and you think about Lewis and Tolkien, and they are just—they are just masterful in right. how they use the English language. Yeah, I have not read the Tolkien series. The movies are awesome. The movies are awesome, and so I feel pretty good with that. So, The I've Hobbit read... is the first book I've read uh, of all of those, whether it was Tolkien or Lewis. First book I've read before I saw the movie. Okay. All the other ones I saw the movies first. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I think Netflix is still supposed to be doing a. Chronicles of Narnia, but right. I, I forgot I about reports that. and then they go away and then they come back. And so I don't know what's happening. I bet COVID stopped it. Yeah, probably just like everything else, everything else, just like everything else. Okay. So, okay. So you got your fiction writers. Now, what about, um, like, what about Christian writers? I love that... old stuff. I love old stuff. Like Herman Bovink. Oh yeah, man. And you're going to say Bovink. Yep. Augustine. I'd still say Augustine, Irenaeus, Athanasius, the guys who, you know, the pre-modern readers of Scripture were doing things with the Bible that were so beautiful. They ha- they were able to see literary and theological insights yeah. that our that our modern or late late modern brains just haven't been trained to see. So I love reading things like uh, Against Heresies or Apostolic Preaching from Irenaeus. I love City of God. Oh, another book I, I love. I love. I love biographies. And so uh, my favorite book maybe of all time is actually Peter Brown's biography mm. uh, of Augustine. It is, I mean, it's just that it's just by it's Augustine, a biography by Peter Brown. Yeah. It is, you know, it's sometimes biographies give you insight into a person, 
but other times biographies like get you into a person. Like right. I felt like I was living Augustine's life in this biography. I wasn't just getting a picture of his life. Yeah. And so I'm also reading another one right now. I wish I could think of the author. It's uh, one of the Pulitzer. I'll think of it in a minute. It's a it's a biography of Frederick Douglass, Prophet of mm. Freedom. Oh man, I'm loving that too. It's like a thousand pages though, so I'm, it's kind of a Ooh. slow slog. Yeah, yeah, it's a big book. I, and I'm guessing you've already acquired or have on your wish list the Bob Inc. Bio- biography. So here's what's great. Uh, I, I I have it on my Amazon wish list. I was going to purchase it like two or three days ago, and literally five minutes before I was going to go pur- purchase it, a reviewer reached out to me and asked if I'd review it for a website. So it's nice. on the way right now. I saved Boom. myself like 20 bucks. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Let's see. That's the key. You got to get on these book review things and you get right. free books sent to you. Yeah. Like right now, I mean, I'm reading some, one of the classes I'm taking at Southern in the PhD program for biblical spirituality is uh, early Christian spirituality, the first mm-hmm. eight centuries. Is it with Haken? So, uh, yeah. Haken. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so excited about the books. That's they're so incredible. The spirit of early Christian thought, um, Augustine Confessions, which I've read it before, but to read mm-hmm. it again, and it's a different translation. He, he didn't pick the one that I'd read before, um, the Venerable Bede. But um, one of the ones I'm most excited about is Greg, Gregory of Nyssa's homilies on the Song of Songs. Yeah. And so I have to give a presentation on the spirituality that's present in Nyssa's uh, homilies here, and how I mean he allegorizes like it's going out of style. I know. Um, like we're running out <laughs> and I love it, you know? I know, and, and I know some of my, uh, DTS training, um, and some of, especially the dispensational Bible college I went to and got my, my bachelor's origin was like a four letter word. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was constantly given as an example of somebody you don't want yeah, to, don't do to, this, don't do this. And so reading origin and reading the, reading the early fathers and reading Nyssa, I'm like, man, I want to do this. This is so reviving and renewing to, to the right. soul. That's right. Yeah. Actually, now, that's, it, it was in Haken's class on Augustine that I read a lot of the books that I just mentioned. He is, you're going to love him. He's a great teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. Nervous, but, uh, but excited. Good. You should be. Yeah. Yeah. The Both book nervous stack and is, excited. is growing. Well, especially <laughs> like writing these papers, you know, obviously being a popular level writer, I've written three books, I, like writing at the popular level and writing for Desiring God or whatever, like, okay, fine. But now having to make sure the footnotes, I'm probably more oh, stressed man. out about the orthodoxy of my footnotes. I know. <laughs> you know, than I know. the orthodoxy of my theology. Yeah. I used to just, you know, 15 footnotes a page should be your average. And then you just confuse people. That's the goal. It's just, just 15 footnotes <laughs> no, a page. I'm just kidding. I just, you, you create a, a forest that they can't get through. And they assume you're really <laughs> smart. <Yeah. laughs> I was talking to this dude last week. Um, uh, Joel Mutamelli. Uh, oh yeah. For I know Joel. Ministries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great guy. And we were talking about PhD stuff and how he does it. And yeah, I mean, he was talk, telling stories just about your first PhD papers when you give a presentation, like he's like, just be prepared, man. You're, you're going to turn in a paper and guys are going to have 15 footnotes on every page. Oh yeah. And they're going to have, be interacting with the footnotes. He's like, and you'll bring a footnote, uh, footnote, uh, John Piper, desiring God or whatever. It's like, <laughs> and people are going to be quoting all these abstract things. He's like, just be prepared, man. It's, it's coming for you. Just wait three years, man. You're going to be doing the same thing. Oh, Lord willing. Lord willing, let's let's hope I make it. Already this first semester, I'm just like, oh my goodness, what have I done? You can do what great, have man. I done to myself. I know. And I'm, you know, I start getting stressed out about it. And Natalie, my wife, she just goes, "No one's making you do this." <laughs> like, 
fuck, you don't have to do this. That's both like freeing and enslaving. You're like, yes. I know nobody is, but I am. So leave me alone. Yeah. Get off my yeah, lawn. So, yeah, yeah, so that's what I said. I was like, I know, but I feel like I should do it. She goes, well, then go do it. Stop complaining. Like, what are you doing? Like, stop. Go, go read then. Thanks, Natalie. Like, You're being helpful. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Very, very uh, helpful there at, at the end. Okay, last couple of questions, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, are the Nuggets going to go to the NBA Finals? I don't know, man. So when we're recording this right now, it's two to one Lakers. It should be, should be is not the right word, but game two was in the Nuggets' hand, yep. Yep. and AD sunk that three at the buzzer. Uh, but here's the thing. The Nuggets are both a second-half team, and they're a second-half of a series team. So I don't want to say I'm optimistic that they're going to win this series, but I definitely don't think they're out of it. So they play tonight. I'll be cooking out some burgers on my porch and, mm. and watching the Nuggets tonight with some neighbors. Um, I I would say there's a – I don't want to say it's quite 50-50 shot they're going to come back, but I'd give them a 40 45% chance, man. Yeah. They, I feel like they figure out teams, and by game four, five, and six, it just is a different series than games yeah. one, two, and three. Jamal Murray's the real deal. He's the real deal. Joe I was Gooch, not very high on him. Oh man, he is. And he, he's getting better, which is what yeah. I like about him a lot. It's not just that he's good; he's he's getting better. And along with Jokic, I think that's the matchup to watch. To watch AD and Jokic, I didn't know how that matchup was going to go down in this series. They're just such different players mm-hmm. uh, that I think you know AD got two and Jokic just had one. So we'll see what happens the rest of the series. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to seven games. I'm calling it. It's I mean, going seven games. Even even if they lose in Game Seven, I'd be disappointed. But right now, don't we all just need a little like? levity and light entertainment in our lives yes i need this to go seven games just for that's that what, like i'm glad it's not going to be i mean it doesn't look like it's going to be a lakers celtics no you know the heat are tearing the the celtics apart uh jimmy butler who's from tomball has a great story i didn't know that yeah yeah we have there's like three nba players from tomball oh wow um and so it's, it's really cool but yeah jimmy this is why the rockets tried so hard to get jimmy butler okay um last season just because the fruit yeah. yeah the fruit i mean he's he's a killer he's got the mamba mentality that that harden doesn't have no um, i feel like harden he has, used to he doesn't anymore it's so frustrating harden has the talent mm-hmm. but not the mentality mm-hmm. westbrook has the mentality but not the talent mm-hmm. and so and i hate that i said this on the air because that may just dash all of my hopes of becoming a chaplain mm-hmm. at some point <laughs> so i've had some of these conversations just delete it uh, man delete just, it i'll just edit this stuff out i'll i'll delete any harden and and westbrook slander that's needed to become so who, a rocket who do you think's going to win the championship calling it right now oh man maybe the heat think the heat yeah okay if if it's heat nuggets heat okay if it's heat lakers man it's it, Playoff LeBron has shown you don't don't, don't vote against me. That's right. And so so if it's Heat Lakers, I'll go Lakers. If it's okay. Heat Nuggets, I'm gonna go Heat. Well, who do you think is gonna win between the Nuggets and the Lakers? Oh man, I, I think it's a toss up. Okay. I feel like it's more of a toss up because all the bit players on the Lakers are so unpredictable. Yeah, Rondo could have a stinker. Yeah. Morris could have a stinker. Kuzma could play well. Could not. AD and LeBron are going to play well. Yep. But Jamal Murray can go off if they don't stop him. Go off. Um, and you're going to get some extra threes from from other guys. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. I mean, you're just going to get other stuff that happens that mm-hmm. the Lakers may not match. The Nuggets are younger. So it's a good series. I'm I'm, I'm here for it. Come on, Nuggets. I'm here for it. Let's pull this up. You're Come getting on. me pumped. I want to go home right now and like and, run around and the they house. Have the, <laughs> the sweet jerseys, the throwback oh, jerseys. Man. Those are so awesome. I've got, uh, you know, my last name's English. So my dad, when I was a kid, bought me an Alex English throwback Nuggets jersey from like the, the early 80s. Nice. I love it. Every time the Nuggets play, I wear it. It still fits? 
Oh, well, he got, it was like a bit, it was like a large, I was probably okay. like in middle school. Like it's a big, okay. like it, it actually fits me now. It was one of those jerseys that like went yeah. down to my knees Massive, when I was a kid. Right. But now yeah, I have fits. a, I have an Akeem Olajuwon jersey, the, yeah. a red one from when I was in fourth grade. And I know it's fourth grade because for some reason, my mom let me take my fourth grade pictures, school pictures in my Akeem Olajuwon jersey. That never happens. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I'm wearing my Akeem jersey and uh, Natalie has it and she wears it. That's so cool. And so I'm thinking, well, hold on, Natalie. Well, I was fourth, fourth grade. In fourth grade. <laughs> I was the size of a 40-year-old woman. <laughs> or, or you're the size of a fourth, fourth grade, grade boy. boy. <laughs> so which, which is it? And I don't know, man. It's, it's tripping me out. Tripping okay. me out. Okay. So to, to wrap up, um, what's, what's like the, I'm sure you've got multiple, multiple hopes, multiple, you know, dreams and, and prayers for deep discipleship. Hmm. Um, what would you say your one top hope dream or, you know, share as many as you want, whatever for, for the guy would do with the book. Yeah. I'll, I'll just share one. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason I wrote, wrote the book wasn't just that we would have different philosophies of ministry in the local church. It's that we would truly come to know, love, worship, and abide in the triune God. The reason we call it deep discipleship is because God is inexhaustible in his beauty, in his majesty, in his perfections, and in his glory. And so, Deep discipleship is about churches and disciples who say, if I'm never going to exhaust the beauty and the perfections of God, and it's in an inexhaustible depth, why would I not want that to start now here yeah. in the context of my local church? And so if somebody walks away from the book and doesn't get a whole lot from a philosophy of ministry, but they want to know, love, and worship God more, man, then that's the win. That's really the yeah. win. Amen. Amen. I love a Bavink quote that I, that I, that I have uh, put on a lot of places around my house and, and online. Um, God is only known to the proportion that he is loved. Mm, that's good. That's a great book. Great quote from the wonderful works of God just released. Man, he's re-released. one of the best. He's he, I think it's his first line in that book. He says, God and God alone is our highest good. Mm. And that, that resonates, I think with this book. And, and if we can have a philosophy of ministry that corresponds to the nature and character of God in our local church, then I mean, that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of one of your, one of my favorite quotes of yours. Um, the God is not only good, um, to us, but he's also good for us. That's right. Um, yeah. And so I know that's your heart for deep discipleship and for your ministry and, and, uh, yeah, mine too, that Amen. we would all see and enjoy, enjoy God. So JT, thanks for coming on the show. Um, if people wanted to keep up with you on social media, where would you tell them to go? Yeah, Twitter, you can find me at JT English or Instagram, same handle. I'd love to connect with you guys there, or you can uh, can follow us at Storyline Fellowship as well, where we've got sermons and resources, things like that. Yeah, and definitely go check out uh, his book on Amazon. Again, you can follow the links here in the show notes, and you can go find Deep Discipleship. And also, you'll find a link to the Knowing Faith podcast, which is easily one of the best Christian podcasts out there. I think it's the best one. I'm, I'm always edified and encouraged and, and, and find myself laughing and just enjoying the, the friendship that they have there um, on the mics and that they also have in real life. And so I've been able to witness it over, over lunch and just uh, everybody, Raz and Kyle and joking with each other, you know, um, every relationship, every friendship, every dynamic we have um, has an element of, of brokenness to it, mm. but is also made whole by, mm. the, by the glory of God. 
So, did you do that on purpose, by the way? I did. Okay. I did. I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie called me right before I hopped on. She goes, you need to work in broken but whole somehow into this show. Like, I'll try. Well I'll done. See. So if you don't know what that means, you need to go listen to the Knowing Faith podcast. And so as always, everybody, uh, just keep writing.